Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, the best in new inventory, all with great warranties. Great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee, which is so important to your buying experience. It really puts your mind at ease. And a fabulous service department that uh, takes great care of your vehicle for the life of the vehicle. Great technicians, and by the way, they're looking for more, as a matter of fact, to help out at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15, almost wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Penn State, Indiana tonight, Jordan Center, 7 o'clock, Dick and I on, beginning at 6.30 this evening. Coming up on the show today, we will talk with Neil Kulong about the NFL. The playoffs are set. The Eagles do not have to play this weekend. The Steelers finished 9-8 and eight, but didn't quite make it. But Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season as that streak stayed alive. So we'll talk with Neil Kulong in the next half hour. Coming up in this half hour, we'll talk with the head basketball coach of the Lady Lion basketball team, Carolyn Keeger. Get a read on them. They're already at 11 wins on the season, and they're aiming to get to the NCAA. Tournament, so we will sit down and talk with the head coach of the Lady Lion basketball team in a few moments. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Roots 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Great to have you back. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Roots 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Men's basketball tonight in the Jordan Center, but let's talk about women's basketball now with head coach of the Lady Lion basketball team, Carolyn Keeger. Earlier, I had a chance to catch up with her. Have you? Oh, great to be here with you. How about that Rose Bowl win, everyone? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of fun, wasn't it? Awesome. Well, now let's get to some Lady Lion basketball because that's fun right now. Uh, already up to 10 wins on, on the season. Do you like the way certain elements of the basketball team have come together with still more to play? Well, obviously, as a coach, you're obviously never satisfied, right? Oh, so. I knew that. I knew, I knew <laughs> that was going to be the first uh, part of the answer. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, we've been in every game that we've played this year. And, and yes, yeah. we have 10 wins already, but I feel like, you know, um, this team is just starting to scratch the surface, surface of what we can do. Um, they're starting to play a little bit more together. Our chemistry is starting to form. The camaraderie is starting to really click on the offensive end. Um, I'd like to see us be, be tougher and, and close out those, you know, two overtime games that we had and uh, obviously we had uh, a two point or uh, the tie game with what seven minutes in number 14 Michigan at their place so we're getting there but uh, we still need to kind of you know toughen up to get over that hump a little bit. McKenna Marisa obviously is, is been a terrific player for you. I think one of the great myths in sports is that Great players don't have to be coached. They're just so great. And it's 180 of that because the great players want to be coached. That's what makes them great. Does that fit her? 
Yeah, Kenna, first and foremost, is a gym rat. Um, she bleeds blue and white. She is so Penn State through and through, and she wants nothing more than to put this program back on the map. So she's willing to do whatever it takes. She's in the film room. Um, she's getting shots up with our assistant coaches. You know, she's, she's trying to bring people along with her. Um, one of the most coachable kids I've, I've ever um, had in, in my life. You know, she just really wants to do whatever it takes for Penn State to win. I think the next level of her evolution as a basketball player and as a winner is figuring out how to put the team on her back in close games in late-minute situations, and she wants that. She wants that pressure. So she, she's in the film room, and she's she's going to keep working until she gets it exactly where we want it. Is How close is she now in thought process to the coach? I mean, you know, does she think the way the coaches think? Has she made that evolution yet? We're still working through that every day. You sure. know, obviously, um, you know, for her, she's a natural scorer, so yeah. a, lot, a lot just comes naturally for her um, putting the ball. And so I think her next step, besides, you know, putting the team on her back to get that W, is commanding and directing. You know, putting – um, we call them our chess pieces in the right scenarios in the right positions in order to get the, the right shot or the exact shot that we want. So um, I think obviously now four years she's starting to understand, you know, my intensity, my um, mission to what we're trying to do every possession. Now I think the next stage is for her to kind of get everybody else in line and make sure that everybody else is doing their job. Before you came here, one of the elements that was so important was the ability of your teams to create turnovers, especially with steals. This team is now doing that. How have they been able to do it? What's been important to their anticipation for what an offense does? Well, I think they understand um, more than they ever have in the past that defense is going to win games, especially in the Big Ten. You know, we're, we're the best conference in America right now. And in order to actually get to the NCAA tournament or play in March, you're going to have to play both ends. Um, and I think they're buying into that. You know, we have uh, Terry Williams, who, who's come here as uh, a defensive coordinator for us, who's had so much success um, with her defenses in the past, too. And I think our, our players love playing in the passing lanes. They love getting up and pressing. And now they need to learn how to get stops in the half court and the full court when we put it together. I think we can be a scary team down the stretch. That also means the ability to embrace scouting reports. How detailed are those scouting reports so that they understand where the ball's going to go? Uh, well, we're quizzing them every day, yeah. uh, Steve. We're, yeah, uh, I, I, noticed you <laughs> I noticed you laughed when I asked the question. So. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> you know, I, shout out to my staff. Obviously, they're sitting right here, but um, they, they work Way tirelessly. Go, yes, they're, they're amazing. Um, they were worked tirelessly to watch film to put our players in a position to know exactly what Michigan or Purdue is going to win. And then obviously in the moment it's up, uh, up for us to kind of close the deal. But um, scouting reports at this level are everything. You know, mm -hmm. Michigan knew every play we were going to run and we knew every play they were going to run. Right. So at that, when it comes down to it, who's going to be tougher and who's going to focus and who's going to really make sure they're locked in in the moment. Leilani Capitus has been the one that's been the one that is been the focal point of all this why has she been it what is it about her that allows her to be the focal point of it well first and foremost she loves defense yeah. you know um when i recruited her um as a seventh grader in, in wisconsin i knew the moment she walked in the gym that she was one of those players who who wanted to get up and defend 94 feet. Um, and that's kind of rare these days to find someone who likes to defend more than they like to score, especially for, you know, how many people praise the scores and, and praise the offensive end. But um, she's someone who absolutely thrives on defense. And for her to set the tone for us every night and get up and, and defend and get in, um, I think, you know, top of the, the conference in steals, in my mind, she has the ability to be one of the best defenders in the country someday. Um, now she's just got to learn the IQ side of it, too. She's got the hustle. She's got the heart. She's got the intangibles. And now she literally needs how to think one step ahead and anticipate a little bit more. In the non-conference, people will see Norfolk State. They'll see Fairfield. They'll see Youngstown. They'll see Toledo. But they're all reigning conference champions. 
I don't think people understand what that does to a net yep. in terms of your ability maybe to get to the NCAA tournament, which is the goal here, and then the goal is to advance after that. How important was that type of scheduling so that you were then ready for the conference? Well, it's huge. I think I saw a stat um, before our Michigan game that we had played the third hardest um, schedule in the country so far as of date based on our opponents' wins. Um, so for us, we knew we needed to challenge ourselves because we want to be playing in March. And this team needed to learn how to win, but they needed to learn how to win the right way and against quality opponents. Um, so when the Big Ten came around, we were ready. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're just beating, you know, uh, a team by 20 or 30 points. It really doesn't matter when it comes to the Big Ten team. So we wanted to challenge ourselves and credit to my staff for, for helping me out with that, that schedule to create um, winnable hard games. You mentioned a couple of the tough ones, but each time your team has bounced back, what does that tell you about their character that they have not let one loss become two? Yeah, this team is fearless. I mean, they, they really do want to win. Um, they might not know what that looks like every day yet, but they are bought in. They are bought into Penn State. They're bought into the staff. They're bought into each other. Um, they're great teammates, um, and now we're learning how to be great competitors. But, um, you know, they're just they're a fun group. They, they really are sponges. They really come into the film room every day and want to be told what they did wrong. They want to learn. Uh, you know, they look you in the eye, they're, they're responsible, they take ownership, and I think the next level that they're trying to get to is how to hold each other accountable. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're taking a lot of personal pride in their mistakes, mm -hmm. and now they got to get to the point where they're calling each other up um, in order for us to win those close games. This segment's coming to an end where it's from December 19th until this weekend where it's nothing but basketball. Oh, yeah. How important was that time, and what kind of growth did you see because it was a basketball-only situation? That's my favorite time of the year, honestly. You know, summers are great too because you get into the lab and just get to get to work. But um, during Christmas or um, you know holiday break um, for our team, it's it's amazing because not only do they get to get on the floor for two a days or get in um, you know some extra shooting opportunities with their position coach, but they also get to think the game a little bit more. They don't have to study as much off the court. So their scouting reports that you talk to, they get to dive in a little bit more. They get to watch more film. They get to recover. They get to take care of their bodies in a different way. Um, and, and for them, I think it's a huge just reset moment for them um, and a little good a break from, you know, the textbooks for a little bit and look, working on X's and O's. So, um, but also when, when school starts back up here next week, the routine is also good for them. Sure. They like to be in the routine, you know, get to class, get to um, on their set schedules. So it was really good for us, but now we really need to turn the corner. Purdue's going to be a huge game for us. No question. If I recall, it was like a nine-day gap between games. I think something like that. How did you handle that when you got them back from Christmas? Well, uh, obviously, first and foremost, you just want to get the ball back in their hands. Yeah. You know, some of them got snowed in. You know, like Shay Chesky <laughs> was in Buffalo, so she didn't get back for a couple days. So for a month. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you just want to get the ball back in their hands, make them confident, um, get some conditioning back in, and then we really worked on our offensive game and um, our defensive slides and rotations and a lot of skill work. Much more mentally tough are you with this team than maybe other teams you've had with all due respect to them well yeah i think this is a different level of a team we have different yeah. goals than we've had in the past you know this goal or this group wants to be playing in march and when you want to play in march you got to take every possession yeah. serious and you got to take every scouting report and every opponent like you know it, it's a big 10 conference you know championship opponent and for us you know purdue is coming in they're playing great basketball they have a great uh, record they have a high net ranking so it'll be a great win for us on our home floor with our back in in front of our fans um so for us we got to be locked in and this is a must win 
It's interesting because in the quarters concept, and men's basketball is the only one that plays halves. They're the only ones. How much time do you spend on end-of-quarter situations because you're going to have four of them during the course yeah. of a game? We actually talked about this as a staff the other day. Uh, um, some of them were saying they, they missed the, the halves. And <laughs> I'm saying I love the quarters because you get more end-of-quarter situations. Yeah. You get more two-for-one scenarios. You get more, um, you know, after-timeout calls. You get all that stuff that you get to kind of really have a reset with your team. We call them running timeouts yeah. you know, during live play of when, when your players are kind yeah. of being player-led. But end-of-quarters, it's fun. It, and then especially at the end of games, now that we're able to advance the ball, and um, I absolutely love the rule changes and, and, and think it really speeds the game up. When it, when in, the, in advancing the ball, what did that do to change how you wanted to call a game? Because instead of having to potentially go 94 at the end of a yeah. game, you now have the advancement. So what did that do to how you wanted to uh, strategy to be well I think first and foremost is it I save a lot of timeouts yeah uh, for that reason um, and you know because you can advance the ball you need every timeout towards the end of the game that you can you can have especially with our team as we're still learning and growing um, I want to make sure that I have as many timeouts in my back pocket as I can down the stretch because of the advance the ball rule so first and foremost that you know I would probably have wasted a lot more timeouts than I do now with that advance the ball rule um, and I think too it, it just gives us a lot more end of game situations to put chess pieces in play um, our team works on it um, a lot and knowing you know what side of the ball we're going to be on who we want inbounding who we want the ball um, in their hands late game so we've already had what three late game scenarios uh, where right. we needed to kind of utilize that and um, obviously still need to get better but I love it I think it's really fun and uh, hopefully the fans love it as well I, I know I referenced earlier steals turnovers and so forth so let's get into the finish of each how have you felt about transition offense and how have you felt about transition defense <laughs> That, that's the key right there, right, is can, can you stop a team uh, from yeah. scoring in the first six seconds and can, can you do that? So for us, I think we're still getting to the pace of play that we need to play. Um, I don't think we did a great job against that against Michigan, but I think if we can do with our depth and we can you know, pitch the ball ahead early and often, it, it just puts heat on other teams' defense. Transition-wise, we talk about it by half court. We need to be assigned. We need to know who we're guarding. We need to point and assign a little bit better than we're doing, build a wall in transition. Um, and, and I think against Michigan, we did that pretty well. It wasn't a transition thing. It was the last you know, 10 seconds of the shot clock that we need to hone in and get a little bit better at. But um, you know, we talk about transition basketball all the time. You know, so there's three different battles in the game, right? There's offense, there's defense, and there's rebounding. And yeah. you could probably make it a fourth one and say transition would right. be right in there with it. I'll give you a fifth one. That's special team. There you so go. When you, so when you get in the sideline and baseline out of bounds plays, how have you felt about the execution of that? Sometimes teams are just trying to look, I'm just going to get the ball in. Now we'll, yeah. we'll set something up. Others are trying to score. How have you felt about that? We've actually, this is the best we've been baseline out of bounds offensively yeah. since, since we've been here. I think our team is understanding um, what, what the intent of every baseline of bound play is and, and who we're trying to get the ball to. Defensively, you know, Coach Terry and I talked the other day. It's like we just hate getting scored on. Um, yeah. Easy baseline out of bounds plays. So I think we're still kind of honing in on that a little bit more. But what we like to do out of baseline under is when we're on defense is cost turnovers. So as soon as they pass it in, we like to trap and we like to make sure that we turn that, that defense into offense on the other end. I mean, you're a team that wants to generate the speed, want to run, want to get teams on their heels you're going to face teams along the way that will want to slow it down on you now you're still going to get your steals but along the way have you felt like this team has the patience to play 30 seconds of defense when it comes yeah so we're working on that composure you know that patience that poise um, I think that's another evolution of McKenna's game that she's trying to figure out because she's so good going downhill as a slasher yeah. and scoring 94 feet that we have to be able to play first six seconds and end the shot clock with yeah. you know and I think that's 
Um, still a, a game that we need to adjust to and we need to mature in. Uh, I think there's a lot of times late clock where it's 5-4-3-2 and we pass it and let the other yeah. person, you know, try to yeah. heave it at the end of the clock and we need to improve on those situations because, like we said, Big Ten, you're not going to get yeah. those possessions back yeah. and every single one of those, you know, 30, 30 shot clocks matter. The possession in the first quarter is gold just like the possession in the fourth quarter is gold. You know it. I, it's just the way it is in the Big Ten. When you t place teams that try to slow you down, sometimes when you get the rebound, good, we got it. You go down and you take the first shot. Uh, the maturity to play sometimes in a game like that, because once in a while you face it, do they have the maturity to understand, like, okay, the first shot might be the best shot, or it might not be? Well, I think that's where they've gotten better as they've matured. Yeah. And that's where, like, when you, when you take over a program and you're trying to push pace and you're trying to get them to play the tempo yeah. you want, usually it takes a couple years for them to figure out shot quality. You know, shot selection versus, uh, you know, just like you said, chucking it up. But um, that's one thing that we talk about on the def defensive end, too, is if we're pressing or we're trying to be aggressive and we don't get steals, if we're forcing them into quick shots and we're getting that rebound, it's just as good. Yeah. You know, just as good as getting that steal um, or taking a, a charge um, when the team's trying to shoot quick or play faster than they really want to or than they practice. Uh, for us, we practice fast every day. So, the, you know, when the game gets chaotic, um, that's usually when we thrive. However, we need to understand when chaos happens, put the ball on your hip, get your team settled down, yeah. and have some competitive composure as we're, we're trying to call it right now. How have you felt now midway through the season about your defensive rotations? I think, you know, every day uh, there's stuff to fix within a defensive uh, uh, breakdowns, but uh, that's something We could that, do this interview 10 years yes. from now and she say, Steve, I'm still not satisfied. I know, no, never. Um, I will say this, there's a different level of uh, accountability that I've seen in our defense in the past and they're they're wanting to get it right they might not understand every rotation and every scramble scenario right now uh, but when they do get it wrong they're usually putting their hand up or telling their teammate what they should have done and um, it's now trying to figure out that you know my error equals your error and then that affects her, you know her error and then pretty soon the possession is a breakdown and you have a wide open layup for everybody to do their job and guard your yard and everybody to be held accountable to their one thing that adds up to a perfect possession that's what we're trying to get to who's the best communicator on the defensive end for you that's a great question right now i would probably say shania pinsu okay yeah she's our, our transfer from oregon and she uh is our, our juice player um she she brings a lot of energy on that defensive end um you know, I would add, you know, Leilani Kapanis is our yep. defensive, um, you know, captain that starts and sets the tone for us. Um, so those two are kind of our different makers and our X factors on the defensive end. Carolyn Keeger, next half hour, Neil Kulong on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years.
Sports Talk, where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back to today's show, brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Elmo's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Kia, Hyundai, best in new inventory, all with great warranties. Great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee that really eases your experience. And a fabulous service department with great technicians that take care of the life of the vehicle. And joining us on the line, as he does every week, Neil Kulong, with you now with SI.com. Neil, welcome back. Happy New Year, my friend. As always, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to get the New Year kicked off. Right way to do it. Exactly. Well, we're talking right now about a. I'm going to start with the Steelers, then we'll go to the playoffs. Uh, they ended up nine and eight, so he still hasn't had the losing season. What made this a team that finished one game over the Mendoza line? I I don't know. Um, <laughs> I love that. That's the right answer. I don't know either. It, yeah. Anybody that tells me otherwise, like you're you're lying. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I I used this line last year, kind of tongue in cheek, but I, I this is really just the truth. The only thing this team does well consistently is win games. Yeah. And consistently, I guess is kind of a stretch. I didn't mean to say that, but it, it's it's their fastball. They just somehow win these games and most of the time you kind of scratch your head wondering how it is that they did it. Now, I, I think it was more dramatic last year, but let's go through the, the sequence of events here. Going back to week one, tapped off, you know, getting into the season. It, it launched the new season with the most ridiculous win they've ever had. Right. And they had five of them the previous year that were, you know, beyond comprehension how they were able to win. Right. I didn't think they could top that. They did it in week one. How important was that win for the Steelers in, in the sense of the record? And look what happened at the end of the year as far right. as the AFC goes because the Bengals somehow lost that game. Wouldn't have a problem if, right. if that didn't happen. Exactly. Um, it's crazy how these things work out. But um, it, 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 you really have to be impressed overall. Um, all three phases of the game, the coaching staff, what they put together to win, what, seven of their last nine games. Um, that's an impressive streak by anybody. And it wasn't pretty football. Um, I, I'm not saying if they had just gotten one win, they would have torn it up in the playoffs. You know, very well could have lost by 50 again at, at Buffalo. But it, it, it's impossible to not admire what this team has done with what I feel uh, was lower-end talent overall, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You went through... Uh, four different quarterbacks played in the last 35 games, including the playoffs for them. Uh, none of them were particularly outstanding. And uh, overall, you saw a, a quarterback change four and a half weeks into this year to start a rookie who was, you know, I, I think it's fair to say about as bad as the guy he replaced early. Watching him improve the way that he did with the thinnest possible reason to believe uh, the playoffs were possible. It, it went down to the wire for them. The quarterback improved. I don't think he played particularly well in that last game, but he, he improved greatly. There were opportunities for him the last four games where his team really needed him to step up and, and be better than what he had been, and he did. I uh, didn't get a game-winning drive against Cleveland, but there was not. He had the opportunity in the third quarter 
to put the game away, and he led them down the field to get that touchdown that they needed. Um, he's doing that more and more. You have to be really encouraged about what he has going into next year. And this is a team that, beyond rational comprehension, has to believe heavily in itself because it, it really it should not have accomplished what it did. And I'm not saying that anybody's bragging about it, but objectively, the sum of the Steelers as a whole was way higher than the sum of their parts. And now they've got significant draft capital coming their way. Yeah. Maybe not in the form of, of a bounty of picks, but three picks in the top 50, they haven't had that in a while. That's nice. They, they can make some moves with that. They've got holes that they still need to fill, but they're in a vastly better position now than they were last season. And this team, I don't think, better or worse, it's close. I, we're not talking about much of a margin there, but they should have been, in my opinion, this season. The fact that they weren't makes me excited about what they have in front of them. And I, I think the right moves, another good offseason, uh, they, they could be you know fairly um, fairly close to being a contending team. I, I don't think they're far from that. And what strikes me is that Fryer move is a given. There's no, no question about that. Harris was okay his second year. But he, it looked like Pickett right out of the gate developed a really good chemistry, not just with Firemuth, but with Pickens. And Pickens is now far enough removed from that torn ACL where I think at the end of the year we were seeing who he really is. I, I saw George Pickens do things I haven't seen a receiver do, and it happened a couple times this year. He is, in my opinion, I said this when they drafted him too, he is the most naturally gifted uh, receiver the Steelers have drafted probably since Lynn Swan. Yeah. He has a, it, it, an amazing set of skills. Um, I've said this with you, Steve, a couple times in the past. I go back to what Mike Tomlin said about TJ Watt when they drafted him. He's not raw. He's just inexperienced. Right. And I think that's what Pickens was. Yep. It, it's, you know, everyone was saying, well, I don't understand why he's not getting the ball 13, 14 times a game. Well, he hasn't. He's barely run routes before. I mean, you know, he, right. he really had. He didn't play all that much in college. Um, what he did, who he is physically, is what got him drafted in the second round. But he's a top fifteen talent. I don't think anybody yep. denied that. It's a question of you have to develop him, and you get him on that shorter contract. Um, it, putting that together, it's it, it's a critical off season for him. I was of the guy he replaced largely because two seasons in a row, um, he came onto the field. This is Chase Claypool. Mm -hmm. He came onto the field looking like the same player he was the year before. Yes. You need to put in work at that position. He didn't differentiate himself at all. Um, Granted, I would have bet you any sort of money. There's no way the Steelers would have gotten a second-round pick for him in the season. (laughs) I agree. No way. I'm still blown away that that happened. It's the steal of the year. It's... Oh my God! Bears fans that I've talked to about this too—they're just delusional. Uh, it's like, okay, you, you realize drafted the guy to replace Claypool in the second round. You traded a second round for Claypool, who hasn't even lived up to a second round billing, <laughs> and your pick went through the roof in terms of value after you made the trade. Yeah. I'm not blaming Claypool for that, but you can't argue the fact that he had 12 catches in six games. 
yeah. your complainer team here. You're you're not getting a whole lot from him above the shoulder. The, the fact that the Steelers drafted a rookie who is inexperienced, didn't play much in college, and there wasn't even a question that he was the outside receiver right. really goes to show you what the Steelers thought of it. You can blame the Steelers offense all you want. I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not making any bones with that, but what is your offense better? I, I don't understand what yeah. makes you think he didn't contribute to a bad offense. Why is he going to yeah. contribute to yours? And you just gave us a premium pick considering it, it's the 32nd player who's going to be drafted. And on top of that, you took him in his most expensive rookie year for, for this coming year, after he gets to camp in, give him, give him a chance. Uh, then you have to pay him. We got him. They didn't, didn't pay him anything, really, for three years. So right. if you guys are happy with the pick, great. I'm not going to argue with you. I think, I think it's great. It's, well, uh, and, and wish him the best. You know, I, I'm not rooting against him. I'm just saying if there's – he was going have taken a third for him, I think, at, at the end of the year. I don't think they would have traded him no. in season – for less than a second, just because, well, they didn't have anybody. You know, there's no depth on on their receiving group. Um, they lost who was supposed to be their slot receiver. Anthony Johnson was set to be their slot receiver. Right. Um, they had to make hay with Steven Sims, and you know what? It worked out. You know, I'm not saying he's great or anything, right. but um, to get, you know, 33 overall for a player that really didn't produce inside the slot or you know, really know what he was doing, um, it, it works out great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think enough people are really talking about it. Uh, how valuable uh, that move ended up being. It's going it's going to pay huge dividends. The Bears, by the way, will end up with Jalen Carter out of it or multiple picks that they decide to pick it in in the end they decide to trade it. Uh, the you and I both know that the NFL uh, has a depth of caring when it comes to cash. Um, I, I believe that's a fair statement. Uh, at the end of the year, you and I are watching, Skylar Thompson, Joe Flacco, Davis Webb, <laughs> and that's just the quarterback position. So now we're yeah, and you know, you and I both know they want to go to eighteen games. But geez, Neil, when I'm sitting there and I'm watching a seventeen game season play out, the attrition rate is exactly what the Players Association said it was going to be. It's not good. It's not good for anybody except. Skyler Thompson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least Joe Flacco got one more game out of it. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's going to be a problem. There's no doubt. You and I have talked about this a couple times. Um, we always kind of hung our hat on you're seeing at the beginning of the season. You know, it, it seems like teams treat week one more as a preseason game. Yes. They'll never admit to that. But, <sighs> I, you know, this year it was definitely in the final week. And I think. The extended season eliminates teams earlier, and you're working on what you're working on. Players need to have film. But when you get lame duck situations, which happens often, you know, Arizona, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't exactly shocked when, you know, it was announced that Cliff Kingsbury got fired. I, I think they knew that two months ago. Um, you, you and I, probably Neil, not. Neil, you and I knew that when he was hired. <laughs> yeah, that. If you want to go to that, I, it, yeah, it, it's amazing the career that he's parlayed yeah. into a you know, general lack of success is what he does. Yeah, I, I wish I was that unfortunate. Um, it, 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 I, I'm racking my brain. I don't know who started quarterback for Arizona. Uh, really it probably was Trace McSorley. 
one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. somebody. Yeah. Penn, Penn, State, Penn State's own. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, he's a veteran journeyman. It gives those guys some opportunity. Maybe yep. there's some utility in that. You know, baseball plays. 80 useless games per team a year, you know, <laughs> it, it, it might not be bad for the NFL for that, but for the starters who are playing, I mean, for example, where I'm trying to go with this is Las Vegas is playing a, a meaningless game and uh, Jacobs played the whole time. Yes. He played in the preseason. Yeah, too. he did. It's like at, at what point is this going to become kind of like, well, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> You're making him do everything. Yeah. You're not even going to pay him. At what point are they just going to say, I have a hamstring injury. I'm not paying this week. <laughs> I'm playing this week. I think that's where it's going. Yeah. And it, it's it's going to become uh, very – if a team is competing, I'm not suggesting a player is going to sit out. Right. I, I feel Lamar Jackson was legitimately hurt. But I agree. Lamar Jackson didn't exactly have a ton of motivation to play in, in uh, the final week no. or the week before that or right. the week before that. Um he couldn't practice last week, but he's fine on on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday to, to go like he is now. Um, you know, good. I'm I'm glad he's healthy. Playoffs are better when Lamar Jackson's in it. I I I feel that. But you're going to have to give snaps and reps to other people. And my question is, at what point are the starters who are playing going to say, "I've got my film." You're not going to be here. I don't need to be out here anymore. I'm not going to play, especially when nobody else here is playing. It almost just kind of seems like it becomes an unofficial week for journeymen, generally graded as fourth string NFL quarterbacks, uh, get an opportunity to play. <laughs> you know, I think that's kind of what we saw on Sunday. Yeah, the opening round of the playoffs, of course, will be this weekend. So Philadelphia, and Philadelphia really needed the bye. Uh, to be honest, because they need to buy Jalen Hurts another week. They need to buy Lane Johnson another week. And to be honest with you, they didn't play well down the stretch. They need to buy all of themselves another week. I felt for Philadelphia, getting that buy was huge for them. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree, but caution flags are up. You you see the teams that get banged up a bit down the stretch, ones that may not be consistently um, with the group they have headed into the playoffs a lot of concern for, for Rust for that team coming out. Um, Dallas and Green Bay, I think, was 2016, I want to say. Yeah. Dallas played horrendously in the first half. And Green Bay, I don't think, was really all that great of a team anyway no. that year. But they could score points. And that was the game where each kicker hit like from 53-plus <laughs> yes. twice in the final two minutes or yep. some crazy deal like that. Dallas spotted them like a three-touchdown lead. It yeah. took them that long to, to, to break the rust off and then get going. I'm worried about that with Philadelphia. It, it's a lot of football. It's not your opponent. It's you. You've got to execute. You've got to do things right. And there's so much rhythm that goes into that. I wonder uh, if, if they're going to be able to hit the stride uh, that you expect them to hit. I just don't think I mean, it's a great coaching staff. They're a very talented team. I picked them to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. Yes, you did. I would expect them to find what they do well. But I wonder how long it's going to take, and I wonder uh, how much defensively, especially, they're going to be able to hold um, their opponent to at least, you know, it, 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 in the worst-case scenario, seven, ten-point deficit. From that, I feel like they could come back against, you know, probably anybody. But it, it's they have to get off to a good start, but I almost feel like you, you need to play this conservatively. You've got to run reps right away your script is going to have to be the absolute basic stuff that you know 
is going to work, and you're going to have to get them make some contact, you know, put a little sweat on their brow, and and, and try to uh, advance with the rest of the flow of the game. But I'd be concerned about that, you know, for the for the betters out there. Those first half lines for Philadelphia are real tempting. Yeah. And that's it's interesting. Bernie Kosar on a talk show talked about laying money on the line for the Browns. He lost his job over it. That's an interesting part of this, Neil, is that the NFL has no problem taking money when it comes to wagering. Uh, they have no they have no problem putting up signs in stadiums dealing with wagering. But boy, if somebody talks about actually physically wagering, they they go after them, and that that I find that to be interesting on their part. It's, it's a real slippery slope. Yeah, um, I'll say this: there are plenty of establishments that do not allow their bartenders to drink on shift. Right. Nobody would call that a hypocritical. Mm-hmm. There is something in this. This is a bit of a stretch, but there is something to say. And I, I hope Al Michaels is listening. But there's something to say about <laughs> wanting your play-by-play personnel to not inflect any sort of influence one way or another. Now, I don't want to accuse Kozar of, of anything in particular. It's obvious why he was doing what he did. The only reason the Browns even knew about it is because he talked about it. The amount he bet was obviously in reflection of, of his jersey, and he was doing right. a good thing. Right. Uh, that The real sin, I think, is bringing it up because there yes. is a rule that says um, the NFL is a habit of this. They, they write rules without always seemingly uh, anticipating unintended consequences. Yeah. Yes. The, the stuff that comes with it. And I think this would be a good example of it. Yeah. They don't want to fire Bernie Kozar for that. No. It's not as if he was, you know, going over his 14 T's while the Browns were driving to score points, because right. we all know the Browns don't drive to score points anyway. <laughs> it, it wasn't the point that he was making with what he said. And I think that you get into spirit of the law versus letter of the law. Right. Um, they have to go by the letter of the law because they write it that way. <laughs> they right. just have a real problem <laughs> with uh, avoiding painting themselves into a corner. And it happens all the time. Um, as far as the league goes, like, let's be honest. There are, I think, reasonable concern allowing players to bet on games. Oh, no, no, no I, question. I, I You're right about that. I don't think anybody can yep. reasonably disagree with that. That's right. To suggest that there is hypocrisy that exists because they're going to profit on non-players betting on the game. I, I just, I feel like that's intellectually dishonest. I think you're in, in typical fashion. Most people are against the NFL in whatever way they are uh, for making money. Like, come on, let's let's not be naive here. Um, their their policies against players gambling have never changed. That's right. They did not get involved with gambling until it was legalized. That's right. Imagine that. You know what? It, it, here's the thing. I wouldn't be surprised if, when uh, marijuana, to whatever degree, is legalized across mm-hmm. the country. They'll find a way to profit on that. Yeah. That's what companies do. Yep. It doesn't make them hypocritical. That's right. It just makes, if anything, you're just supporting the idea that the NFL follows the rules, which probably isn't true anyway. But the point is more they have to follow things that are obvious and in the public eye. Gambling and sports, it, it, it's about as perfect a union as we're going to find. There's no way they're not going to get involved. That does not mean players have the right to gamble. It, they just don't. It doesn't make any sense to allow them the ability to do that. 
that we have you on every week. So, my good friend, as always, thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, keeping this going. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK.